uh, write down this address, uh, 163 Hilders Road, and Brother Bill Bailey has a 89th birthday, I believe she said, uh, Sunday, and says those that would to send him a birthday card, uh, 163 Childers Road, uh, Bill Bailey. Uh, we do ask you to be uh, praying. I hope that you already are. I've already asked you to be praying for Jubilee, and uh, we booked thus far 17 rooms that we have booked, and I appreciate those that uh, have uh, give uh, rooms. And, uh, we probably have 20 to 25 uh, rooms before the time gets here, and uh, so we uh, appreciate that. And they got uh, that many. It's already let us know they're going to come and be here for that week, and we're looking forward to it. And uh, Sunday we'll have uh, some of those cards, like I always have, for you to use to uh, give to your uh, neighbors and uh, friends that you work with and uh, invite them to come to Jubilee. It's going to be great. going to have good singing, good preaching, uh, good food, and uh, we want them to come. And we appreciate those that are coming in, which, you know, is usually about 35, 40 people, uh, somewhere thereabouts, but uh, we appreciate uh, more of the main crowd has to come from around here. And the way that happens is you have to invite folks and let them know that it's going on. Uh, I understand that's, uh, I guess that's fall break week or whatever, uh, but I hope you'll see the importance uh, of your church and its events, and uh, you'll schedule stuff at the end of the week, uh, and not all week. And if you're working a, a day job uh, that'll let you come out dinner, just come in on your lunch break and You'll be able to hear a preacher in 30 minutes and uh, come back uh, at night in the afternoon services. And uh, so we're really looking forward to it. This is the 15th year, and uh, I, hate to, I hate to have stuff that's not a success because it's against the Bible. Uh, the Bible said, whatever we do, that it should prosper. Now, I know that prosper is a broad word. Uh, it can prosper in one way with a few here. Uh, somebody get saved, somebody get uh, marriage put back together, help some way or another. Uh, but uh, I like things to be a success. And, uh, and most of the time when we prepare for them, they are. Uh, someone said if you don't prepare, you prepare to fail. And a lot of truth to that. And uh, so... Uh, half of the battle is prayer, prayer, uh, spending time in prayer, um, taking time every day to ask God to bless this uh, this special event that He's let us have for uh, 15 years. And uh, don't know what God will do, but I'd like to have, we had one service that they still talk about everywhere I go. Uh, and some of you were here that morning service when God just settled in. Brother Brother Noah was supposed to preach. I'd like to have a whole week like that. If we could stand it. I don't know if we could stand it or not, but I'd like to try it, wouldn't you? 
All right, Second Thessalonians tonight. We uh, covered First Thessalonians back earlier in the year, and uh, so we want to finish up, up this second letter tonight. We'll cover twelve verses in chapter one tonight, or at least we'll try to. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter one. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church at under the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints, and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness, and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask Your blessings upon the service tonight in Christ's name. Amen. Please get the baby out of the aisle. I can't compete with it. Uh, it'll, It'll get all the attention. I'm not that good a teacher. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you brought the baby. And uh, we love that baby. And uh, pray for it. Alright, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 1 through 12. The author is Paul the Apostle, as I'm sure most of you folks that would come on Wednesday night are aware of. But Paul is the Apostle. The time of this letter is probably somewhere written between A.D. 52 and A.D. 54. Uh, It's probably one year later from the first letter uh, that we've already studied. There's 31 chapters, I mean uh, 3 chapters, and 47 verses. uh, 1,022 words. You say, why is that important? Well, the Bible says that we're supposed to live by every... Word of God. Uh, Amen. The Bible says not even one jot or one tittle should pass away. It's all important. 
Like the first letter, every chapter deals with Christ's coming, mainly at the second advent. And I'll talk about that in a little bit more in a minute. Okay, chapter 1 is the church is suffering in light of the Lord's coming. In verse 5, he said that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Chapter 2 deals with the spirit of Antichrist in the light of the Lord's coming. Verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doeth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then chapter 3 deals with the Christian life and the church occupying until he does come. Verse 4 of chapter 3, And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do things uh, which we command of you. At the time uh, of this uh, writing, there is only one church in Thessalonica at the time of this writing. Verse 1, he said, uh, unto the church. Uh, so there's only one church at this time. There was a time in Barron County when there was only one church. And uh, I don't know, I know that Mount Tabor is the oldest Baptist church, uh, I think, in the county. Uh, but our forefathers did a good job of church planning. Uh, they they had people get saved, people called to preach, and they were sent out to start new churches. And now you can't go five miles in any direction without seeing uh, a Baptist church. And uh, so uh, at this time, at Paul's writing, there was only one church there uh, in Thessalonica. Uh, in verse 2, uh, the Bible, uh, or verse uh, 2, the Bible says, uh, or verse 1, the Bible said, Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would like to jump on a verse like that and say, see, Jesus isn't God uh, because it said God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you'll find some places like that in the Bible. Uh, but that don't mean there's two different gods. Uh, uh, we'll give you an illustration over in Second Samuel uh, where this kind of, uh, there's a word for that uh, word and being used that way. Uh, but in Second Samuel uh, chapter 23 and verse 1, we have a biblical illustration that you might want to mark and remember if you're ever talking to a Jehovah's Witness. In verse 1 of chapter 23, the last words of David, the Bible said, Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, You'll notice there that all of those references are talking about the same person. They're all talking about David. It's not three different men. There's only one. And this one man was raised up on high. This one man was anointed of God. And this one man was the sweetest psalmist of Israel. 
And so, uh, same thing here. Uh, this is not two different gods. Uh, this is the same God uh, that the Bible is talking about. Uh, it's like in Titus 2 and verse 13. Uh, in Titus 2 and verse 13. Uh, you find it again there. And the Bible said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not two different people. Uh, that's, that's one. It might be like I'd say this morning, I got up this morning and I had a cup of coffee and some cream. Uh, I didn't have a cup of coffee and a cup of creamer. They're both the same one. Uh, and it's the same uh, meaning here in this verse. Uh, I might say, I boiled an egg, I boiled an egg, and I ate the white and the yolk. Uh, I'm just talking about one egg. And uh, But Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they love that. They'll, they'll eat a verse up like that. But uh, in Isaiah 43, there's one that, uh, again, in Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43 and verse 11, great verse for Jehovah's Witnesses. I always use this one if I ever have the opportunity to talk with them. I, even I, am the Lord and... Besides me, there is no Savior. Well, if, if Jesus and the Lord are not the same person, He couldn't be the Savior. Because the Bible said, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Uh, so Jesus cannot be a Savior if He's not the Lord. And Paul asked him that question, or Saul did, on the Damascus Road, don't you remember? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. Uh, so they're, they're one and the same. Now, note the church of Thessalonians. It's a picture of a local church. This is a local church where you're at tonight. It's what we call a local church. And uh, we know that uh, there are local churches in Paul's day. Look at verse 4 so that we ourselves glory in you and in the churches of God. Now the church of Christ, they like, to, they like to talk about all the times in the Bible that the Bible mentions the church of Christ. But if you want to take the time to run the reference that evidently they've never done, the church of God is mentioned more than the church of Christ. Uh, but notice that, uh, that there's more than one church. Now, there is a local church and there is a universal church. You belong to two churches tonight. You belong to a local church and if you're saved, you belong to a universal church tonight. Uh, I remember Brother Mitchell saying one time that a, a fellow told him, said, I belong to that big church up in the sky. He asked him where he went to church. He said, I don't go. I belong to that big church up in the sky. And he said, no, you don't. He said, if you did, you'd be up there. <clears throat> uh, you see, there is a, a local church. 
And the difference, you can remember this, the difference between the local church and the universal church is the local church can have membership that is lost. We could have people that's on the church books that are lost. I mean, we baptized them, they said they're saved, we took them into membership, but they might not be saved. There's a possibility that you could be a member of a local church and be lost. But that is an impossibility with the universal church. Uh, you cannot be a part of the universal church and not be truly saved. Uh, won't be any lost members in the universal church. Lots of local churches, but only one body. A lot of local churches. No telling how many in in Barron County. But uh, look at Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible said there is one body. Okay, there's only one universal church. Lots of local churches, different names, uh, all like that, different locations, different places. But when it comes to that universal church, and that's the main one, that's the one that really counts when you die, only one. There are a lot of members of the body of the church. A lot of different church bodies. Uh, we have a church body here tonight. They got one down the road and across the road. Uh, but notice in Ephesians 4, there is one body. That's in that, that's in that universal church, one body. We join the local church by uh, letting preacher know we want to, like we did this last week and weekend before that. Uh, we join the local church by letting preacher know we want to and uh, uh, coming before the church and they vote us in. But the universal church, uh, we're baptized into the universal church. Uh, Looking for First Corinthians chapter twelve, and the Bible said. Verse 12, For as the body is one, and many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, we have, we have been all made to drink of that one Spirit. Uh, so, uh, so we, we, we get that now. Ephesians, back to Ephesians 4. Uh, Ephesians 4 and verse 5. The Bible says, There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. That's that, that's that baptism that puts you into the universal church. It's a spirit baptism. It takes place at the time you get saved, and that's the one you can't go to heaven without. People always ask you, can you go to heaven and not be baptized? Well, you can. You'll probably get a scolding when you get there. But you cannot go to heaven and not be spiritually baptized. You have to be placed into that body. Uh, you notice... In, uh, in verse 2, the Bible said, Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and 
the Lord Jesus Christ. There that is again. Now the source of grace and peace is God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have peace with just God and you can't have peace with just Jesus. You've got to have Jesus and God. John 14, you believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, it takes both of them. Amen. Uh, so without, without God and without Jesus Christ, we do not have the grace and the peace that we need and we use every day in our life. Now verse 3 says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or fit, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Now, the cause of their faith growing exceedingly is seen by the prayers that's being prayed for in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians and verse 4, uh, or verse 3, or verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. Thank God for young Christians and they need somebody to pray for them because prayer helps them grow. But they're not only growing because of their prayers, they're growing because of their trials. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. Uh, Yeah, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1. He said, Furthermore, when we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so that you would abound more and more. Uh, Paul, as a teacher, I meant to say teacher, I said trials, but I'll get to that in a minute. But they had a great teacher. Uh, we have some people that's grown in this church because we have some great teachers in this church. And uh, we have uh, good Sunday school teachers in every class. We have some, we have some exceptional teachers in this church. And uh, that's why you need to go to Sunday school. That's why it's important that you come in, you sit down listen to the teachers. Why? You cannot grow out there. You grow in here when you listen to the Word of God. Uh, and so prayer makes them grow. They had a good teacher. Wouldn't you think they had a good teacher? The Apostle Paul? I'd say they had the best there is, apart from the Lord. And uh, they grew. But also because of their trials. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 4, He said, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith, and all your persecution and tribulations that ye endure. Someone said, and it's true, we wear the scars down here, we'll wear the crown up there. We don't wear the crown down here, we wear the scars down here. If you have been saved very long, and you've been serving the Lord and living for God, you have some scars that you've got while you came here, uh, while that you served the Lord. But you know what? Our scars help us grow. We have some people that's been through tremendous trials, strange trials, 
The Bible says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials that are to try you, so some strange thing has happened to you. In other words, he's saying, We shouldn't be surprised when trials come. God says they're going to come. And these trials, they literally help us grow if we submit to God and and deal with the Lord. Uh, We have people that's been through tremendous trials, great trials, strange trials. And as their pastor, I know they have grown because I see growth in them when they went through these trials. Now, they could have went the other way. Uh, Not everybody grows in their trials. Some people shrink in their trials. It all has to do with how you respond to your trials. The Bible says here, he says, he talks about their charity. And uh, he says, you have charity, verse 3, of every one of you all toward each other abound. When we think about charity in the church setting, we think about somebody knocking on the door and asking if we could give them a handout or if we could buy them a meal or if we could give them a ride. But when the Bible talks about charity, in the normal sense, it talks about it as being between us Christians. Of us showing charity, that means love. Of us showing love one to another. This church was doing that. We don't need Websters to define charity uh, because uh, the Bible does a much better job of it than Websters could ever do. In uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible said, Charity suffereth long. In other words, when we put up with each other, we're showing charity. Charity is kind. We show kindness to each other. We're showing charity. Charity envieth not when one of our members gets a new vehicle and drives in the parking lot. We don't say, must be nice. We say, brother, I'm glad the Lord blessed you with that. I wish He'd blessed me with one. Charity fawneth not itself. It's not puffed up. In other words, charity is not full of pride. It's humble. Charity doth not behave itself unseemingly. In other words, throw a fit. Uh, when we don't do that, when we restrain ourselves, we're showing charity one toward each other. Uh, thinketh no evil, rejoice not in iniquity. In other words, we don't rejoice when somebody we don't like, we hear something bad happen to them and, and we kind of get in the corner and laugh a little bit. That's not charity. Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity. In other words, we say, man, I hate to see that, hear that, I'll be praying for you. And uh, so forth and so on. So this church had a lot of charity. I guess that's why it's such a good church. Don't mean they had, uh, didn't have problems and they didn't have people uh, that they uh, maybe didn't like as much as others, but they had enough charity to overcome it. Now, we notice here in verse 4, he said that uh, 
so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and persecution and tribulations and all that ye endure. So the glory here, the word glory here, is not like the, a wrong kind of glory. Uh, you know, we give glory to God, but we're not to glory in ourselves. And it's more like a thankfulness, like he's expressing here. I'm bound to give thanks. He's thankful for what he sees here in uh, verse 2. Uh, he's talking about it in verse 3. He's talking about it, uh, and he's talking about uh, this uh, thankfulness. You can see this again back in the First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. He said, we give thanks to God always for you all. Again in verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. And, and so uh, Paul is thankful. He's glorying. He's thankful that there is such a people like this. Now, uh, some would, uh, we have some that tries their dead level best to send the church to the great tribulation. And they wrote books about it, preached sermons on it. And some, and they would grab a verse like this, and they would say, "See, uh, your patience, faith, and all your persecution, tribulations that ye endure." But tribulation uh, here and in the Bible is used in three different ways that it's used. Like right here, it's used as a plural, not one, but plural tribulations, and it's used in a daily way. He says and the tribulations that ye endure. Jesus said in John 16 and 33, He said, In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I've overcome them. Uh, you're going to have some trouble. Uh, you're going to have some tribulations. Uh, Zeb had some this week. Uh, other people have had tribulations. And uh, we're to expect them. We're to look for them. They come daily. Jesus said, in the world you'll have them. But He said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And the world uh, tries to see to it that you have tribulation as a child of God. And so there is that daily tribulation that we all have. It's, uh, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not unusual for us to have uh, tribulation, problems, troubles. Uh, it's just part of the Christian life. And then it's used in a divine way in uh, Matthew or in Jeremiah 30. Uh, this is a uh, divine thing in Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah 30 and verse 1. Or verse uh, 7, I'm sorry. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but we shall be saved out of it. Okay, notice it's not troubles, but it's trouble. This is a divine tribulation. And it's what Jesus spoke about in Matthew uh, chapter 24. Uh, Jesus uh, said in Matthew 24, in answer to the question of the disciples, 
uh, when shall the end be? What will be the signs? And he says in verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation. Not tribulations like we have in the world every day, but this is used as a, uh, it's used as a divine tribulation. Uh, a period of time. It's going to be for a period of time. Uh, mostly uh, seven years. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, the Bible says, uh, For we are not appointed unto wrath. In other words, divine tribulation. We're not appointed to that. There is a daily tribulation. There is a divine tribulation. And then there is a tribulation of damnation that belongs to Israel. Jacob's trouble and those that are living in the world at that time. Uh, this is what uh, is mentioned in verse 8 in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. And we'll say more about that in a minute. But to get through these daily tribulations, you don't have to worry about getting through the great tribulation, but you do have to worry about getting through daily tribulations. How do you get through daily tribulations? Well, he said these folks here had done it. He said they had endured it. Verse 4. And there's three things it takes to get through your daily tribulations. Number one, it takes patience. We in America like things to be over quick. We like quick fixes. People often come to me with uh, marital problems. And, and as I begin to counsel, the first thing I tell them, I say, how long y'all been married? They say, 20 years, 30 years, 35 years. I say, we're not going to fix this today. I said, this didn't start today. It took a long time to get here. And it's going to take a while to get out of it get back so it takes patience whatever you're going through uh, uh, I see people going to hospital you know and they want to get up and go home right then but you can't do that you got to have patience you got to got to wait it out and it takes faith it takes faith you got to believe in God you got to believe God's going to get you through it that's like Sister Sharon, I'm sure, did for all them months. was waiting for the trial to come up. And she was believing God. I'm sure that's what, uh, I'm sure that's what her husband uh, was doing when he'd come to the altar every Sunday for months on Sunday morning. I'm sure that's what he was doing. He was believing God to do something for him. And that's how he got through it. And then you got to endure it. You got to endure it. He said, You endured it. You'll never get through it if you don't endure it. If you quit, you won't get through it. You got to endure it. Uh, a preacher friend of mine, uh, uh, actually, a couple of them having bad trouble. And uh, one of them was really discouraged because of a crowd down. Uh, People leaving the church. Well, we've had that happen here uh, over over forty one years. We've had that happen here a lot of times. Say, did you want to quit? I wanted to, but I couldn't get free to. And I found out after 
20 or 30 years, I found out pastoring a church is just like farming. You have good crop years and bad years. Some years you get a lot of people saved. Some years you don't get anybody saved. Some of them leave. Uh, but that's just that's just part of it. Amen. And you got to endure it. Uh, if you don't endure it, you'll never get through it. Alright? The Bible says in verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, underline it, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which also you suffer. God counts some of His children worthy to suffer more than others. Uh, book of Acts, uh, about chapter 5, verse uh, 40. And the Bible said they, you know, they'd, they'd suffered. They'd been arrested, beaten. And the verse 40 said, And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and to praise Jesus Christ. In other words, they, I mean, they didn't like it. Nobody likes it when they're beaten and threatened. They didn't like it, but they counted it as worthy, as an honor, as a badge to wear. I'm suffering because of Christ. You see, the Christian, he always thinks he's suffering because he's done something wrong. I was listening to Billy Mitchell uh, on a tape a couple weeks ago. Of course, he's in heaven now and this tape was old. But Billy, boy, they hit a rough stretch there. Uh, he was off preaching somewhere over in eastern Kentucky and on one of them cold mountain roads and a coal truck come around and hit him head on and uh, broke him all to pieces. He was in the hospital forever. And then while he was in the hospital and they were done numerous x-rays, they found out that he had, uh, I think, colon cancer. And so they had to deal with that while he was in there. And then he got out and come out with, up with prostate cancer. And uh, Brother Billy's wife, whom I've never met, Sister Linda probably met her, and uh, she's, a, she's a little bitty lady, about like Miss Linda. And Brother Billy was saying in that message, he was preaching, and he was talking along these lines, and Brother Billy said his wife come in there with tears in her eyes and said, wonder what we've done wrong. Wonder what we've done wrong. Well, sometimes you don't have to do anything wrong. Sometimes you've not done anything wrong. These disciples hadn't done anything wrong except preach uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, that's all they had done. Uh, sometimes God has counted you worthy to suffer for His name's sake. He didn't pick everybody to go through it. He picked you. I found a verse in Numbers 31. I may be using it out of context, but I was in a camp meeting and a preacher was going through tremendous trouble 
And uh, I was in my motel room praying, reading my Bible that morning. And the Lord led me to Numbers 31 and verse 23. And I thought it was strange uh, that He led me there. But then the, later on in the service, the Lord led me to, to go to this preacher in an out-of-bank service when everybody was at the altar shouting or running the aisles. And, and the Lord laid it on my heart to go over to this preacher and share with him what He showed me that morning. And he was going through a lot of trouble. And the verse is uh, Numbers 31, verse 23. And it says, Everything that may abide the fire, you shall make it go through the fire. And it shall be clean, nevertheless, it shall be purified with the water of separation. And all that abideth not the fire, you shall make go through the water. You say, now what's that mean? Well, to me, and what I shared with that preacher, I said, God showed me this. And I said, please, uh, I'm very humble to even mention this to you. And please don't think it any otherwise other than I just felt the Spirit impressed me to, that I needed to share this with you. But I said, the reason you are going through what you're going through and I'm not, the way I interpret this verse, is that God knows you can get through it. So He's going to put you through the fire. And God knows you'll come out of it. But He might look at me and say, Old prophet couldn't make it. So we'll just let him pass through the water. Which is a little less thing. And uh, that sufficed me for why some people over 41 years of ministry why that some people just go through so much. Well, it might be because they're a better Christian than you are, and they got more faith than you and I have, and the Lord knows they'll make it through it. Amen. And He may put us through it after we grow a little bit more somewhere down the line. But when you see people go through stuff like that, and, uh, you know, I'm looking out uh, tonight at folks that have been through the fire. And they're they're here tonight, and when you when you see people like that, it's like Paul said: you have to thank God, you have to give glory to God, Amen. that they trusted the Lord and God uh, got them through that thing. I've got a note here I want to check right now. I can't remember why I put it there, but in the, in Philippians, Philippians chapter one, uh, Philippians. Uh, 1 and verse 28, uh, Paul is talking there, and uh, he says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdiction, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His name's sake. Uh, so it says the world looks at you and they're kind of like Sister Mitchell was. The world looks at you and says, boy, they must have done something awful bad. God's judged them. And in other words, uh, the world looks at it and to them it's a, they're saying, well, it's a sign that God is uh, judging them. But the world, uh, but the church looks at you 
and says it's an evident token they know God. Look at them. How could they do this? How did they get through that? It's an evident token that they know God. Verse 6, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now it's talking about God giving tribulation to the ones that trouble you. Vengeance is wrong whenever you or I do it. Anytime you or I do vengeance, it's wrong. Because the Bible said in Romans 12, Avenge not yourself. But on the other hand, anytime God brings vengeance it's on somebody that's troubled you, it's always right. That's what that verse is saying. Verse 7, rest. Uh, verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. And when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. Rest. In other words, uh, He's saying be comforted in what I've told you. God's letting you go through this because He knows you can take it. God's allowed you to suffer in His behalf. And He said rest in these things. Uh, when the devil comes on, you rest on it that God uh, lets you go through this. Rest in these things. It's like First Thessalonians 4 and verse 18. No matter what you're going through now, comfort one another with these words. Jesus is coming. Bringing them with Him. Hebrews 4 verse 8 and 9 says, There remaineth the rest unto the people of God. And I'm not going to go into it tonight because of time. But we are already resting in the Lord. I know there's a rest that remaineth. But if you truly get saved, you're already resting in the Lord. You say, what do you mean? Well, if you read, if you read Hebrews 4 verses 8 through 9, you'll find out that he's talking about they rested from the finished work from the foundations of the world. God rested. Okay, I'm resting when it comes to my salvation. I'm not trying to work. I'm not trying to please God. You know what I'm resting in tonight? The finished work of Christ. He did it all. And when it comes to salvation, I'm just resting in what He's already done. Amen. He said in verse 8, "...in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ." Now, uh, Almost all the church world out there would have you to believe that obeying the gospel is living right and perfectly every day. Not so. Uh, let's see what our Bible says obeying the gospel is. Look in uh, Romans. Romans, the 10th chapter. And it's, of course, a salvation chapter. But look at verse 14. Romans 10:14 How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? It is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and that bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. 
For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed a report. To obey the gospel is to, is to believe the gospel. You see, this is from Isaiah 53. Isaiah said, Who hath believed our report? Isaiah 53, 1. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And he says, For they have not all believed. So to obey the gospel is to believe the gospel. To, to, that's to obey the gospel. To live the gospel is to try to live for the Lord every day of your life. But the Bible didn't say that He was coming in flaming fire uh, to take vengeance on them that did not live the gospel. But He said He's coming to take flaming fire on them that obey not the gospel. They have not believed in the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, verse 10, When He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all of them that believe our testimony among you was believed in that day. Paul gave them the gospel. They believed it. That's why they're saved. That's why they're in this church. They believed it. Uh, he says, uh, when the Lord shall come to be glorified in His saints. Well, it's the same thing uh, back in verse 19 of chapter 2. And Paul says, uh, What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not ye even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? As Paul was going to glory in these Thessalonians, these few that were saved, Multiply that a million times over. When the Lord comes back and He brings all those with Him that's already there and He raises all us up that are still here, that He's going to be glorified in His saints to the millionth degree. Verse 11, He says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. That calling is that calling to suffer for Christ. To suffer for Christ. To be able to take it without quitting or complaining or blaming God. Like Paul did in 2 Corinthians 12 when Paul was going through tribulation of a thorn in the flesh and he sought God three times for it. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, Okay, God, I'm not blaming you. I'm not going to fuss about it anymore. He said, Rather, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. That's the way you do it. You say, How do you do that? Well, Paul said he had to learn it. Philippians 4 and 11, he said, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. It's not just something's going to come to you. It's not just something's going to come to me. We are going to complain. We are going to gripe. But when we get down the road a little bit and we start growing, we learn to be content in whatever state we're in. This is, this is where God has me now. And it may not get any better. 
Uh, it may stay that way. It may get may get worse. That's what my daddy used to always say. Daddy'd say, "Well, it could be worse," and my answer was, "And it probably will be." Uh, so, verse twelve: the whole purpose of everything is that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. The whole purpose of everything that I do and everything you do as a Christian, the whole purpose should be that God would get glory. Amen. Glory in it. Like I would say, Lord, I thank God for good Sunday school teachers that you've given us. Thank God for these teachers. I, I, I might say, and I have said, God, thank you that when my wife uh, no longer cleaned the church, thank you that you supplied somebody that uh, does a great job cleaning the church. See, God gets the glory out of it. Thank God I could go on and on. I don't mean to slide anybody or make anybody stand out. But there's people all over the room tonight that I thank God for and give Him the glory because He put them here. Uh, and so uh, the bottom line is that whether we're preaching, and I'll say this in closing, uh, again, uh, Brother Mitchell made this statement years ago and it struck me when he made it. And I thought that's from God. He said it was a sad day in America when preachers started preaching for the salvation of souls instead of the glory of God. He said your main purpose of preaching ought to be for the glory of God. He said if you're only preaching for the salvation of souls and now in our kind of a day, you're not going to see many. You're going to be discouraged and think there's something wrong with you. But if you and I are preaching and teaching and serving for the glory of God, it don't matter if anybody comes to the altar or not, we've done that which pleases God. We've done it for His glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank You.